How are we doing? God bless you. God bless you. Why don't you just join with me just uh, in a moment of prayer. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit and anoint this service. Amen. All right. Is that fast enough for you? Uh, we are, uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about, uh, well, I want you to, we haven't started advertising this, but on September the 26th, which is also uh, a Monday night football, which is uh, a team, two teams you don't like, all right, so there's no excuse for not being here, but it's also the first night of the debate, so, so we moved this thing back an hour. But uh, Sergeant Benjamin Anthony will be here sharing his testimony and just what's going on in Israel. Uh, I, I was able to meet him, I think, about two years ago when I went over to Israel. Uh, I represented New Mexico as one of the, uh, one of the pastors from 50 states that went over uh, to meet with the leadership there when the war broke out. Remember that war broke out when three teenagers were murdered by, uh, I think it was Hamas, and uh, Benjamin Anthony, Sergeant Benjamin Anthony was able to speak, and he shared a testimony that just absolutely floored me, and you can see him on YouTube, um, but I, I really would encourage you to try to come. We're, we, we actually moved it up an hour so you can, you know, get home and catch Monday Night Football or, or the debates, whichever you prefer, okay? Uh, we want to uh, remember, you know, we're, we're coming into that, that season, we're changing seasons. Uh, I was reminded last night, uh, Jordan came home and saw one of his friends that was on the street homeless and really was burdened by it, and we're coming to that time of year, and I know that uh, Danny and Anne-Marie and others of you, have, uh, we've done uh, sleeping bag, I think Steve and Beverly, I don't know if they're here this morning, don't see them, but, uh, you know, we've done sleeping bag drives and coat drives and gloves and socks and things like that. So, uh, you know, just start bringing that stuff in. I mean, we, we've got rooms and we, we can store it. Uh, you know, one of the things also that I wanted to guys, give you guys an update on and somebody, if you didn't stay for the corporate meeting, uh, which is uh, more fun than a root canal, uh, <laughs> You know, if you didn't say for that, you know, there might be, you know, just some question in your mind. We had talked about, I don't know, six or seven months ago, maybe a little bit longer, about what we were doing, what the board was doing, what we were thinking about doing with the property. And uh, we talked about selling. We had an offer, a potential offer from Calvary and Albuquerque. But, you know, the bottom line is that over the last couple of months, I mean, I feel like the Lord has really spoke to us and the Lord has told us to stay put. Uh, the church portion. Uh, you might have noticed a lease sign, a four lease sign out on the uh, the building. Uh, that's for the school side. Doesn't have anything to do with the church. So um, just to put your heart and your minds at rest, and you know, so you know where we are and what we're doing. Uh, we are staying here. Uh, so anyway, we're here. Um, I, the Lord put on my heart, and I've been thinking about this, and actually just asking you, you know, I needed some help preaching the sermon this morning, so uh, talking about our greatest needs, what we think or what you think your greatest need is or mankind's greatest needs, and it's been a little bit of fun for me asking this question because, you know, uh, there, I, I, I don't know, if, you know, I think it just depends on where you are and what your greatest need is, but what do you think? you know, your greatest need or mankind's greatest need is? Love. Okay, somebody said love. What else? I, I, said, I picked three. Three greatest needs. You know, I, I, you just be quiet there, young man. <laughs> That's my grandson. <laughs> we talked about this last night. Anybody else? Go ahead, right there in the back. What is it? Purpose, okay. Danny? Forgiveness, okay. Salvation, okay. Holy Spirit, all right. Ryan, I see you got your hand up back there. Just shout it out, man. You got your hand up? Or are you just scratching your head? Okay, all right. So, <laughs> okay. 
All right? To hear God. All right? Now, all of those are good. All of those are good. And uh, actually, uh, you, you've got, you know, you nailed two of the ones that I, I, I had down. I, put, I thought that our greatest need was, number one, is to, be, to know that you're loved, to, to receive love. Uh, number two is to be forgiven. And number three is acceptance or, you know, uh, someone said purpose. It's kind of like, kind of fits in the same place. So uh, we're going to talk about that this morning. And this, this story that we're sharing, uh, I'm going to be reading out of um, Genesis chapter 28. And before I get there, for some of you, you'll know the whole history of this. So you don't need a, a background, but there may be some here that do. Um, God called a man by the name of Abraham out of the land of Ur, uh, the land of Iran, what we know today is uh, Iran. Uh, I think it's Iran, isn't it? Or is it Iraq? I get it mixed up. Uh, it is, no, it's Iraq. It's the land of Iraq. It used to be Persia, right? It was called Persia before. All right, thank you. So uh, anyway, so God calls him, and he calls this guy that's, uh, you know, in an uh, idolatrous pagan culture, calls him down into the land of Israel, into Canaan, into the promised land. And uh, he and his wife, Rebecca, um, they can't have any children for a long time. God blesses them. They have a son by the name of Isaac. Isaac kind of, you know, goes through the same thing. Uh, he needs a wife. Uh, you know, so they pick, uh, you know, he gets a wife, her name, uh, I mean, uh, Sarah was Abraham's wife. Man, I just like, man, I got to start all over. <laughs> Isaac has a wife, her name is Rebecca. And uh, then they, uh, remember the, this whole thing, it was like, cause she has twins. She has Jacob and Esau, and Esau kind of pops out first and then back into the womb, and, and uh, then, uh, or Jacob does, and then Esau comes out first, and and, uh, and then Jacob deceives him into selling his birthright, and uh, uh, Esau wants to kill him, and uh, Rebekah says, I need you to go, I need you to flee, you need to run for your life, and so he goes back up into the land where her family was from, back into uh, Iraq, and, uh, or the land of the Chaldeans, or the land of Ur, and um, he finds a wife, a lovely lady, lovely woman by the name of Rachel. And that's where we're going to pick up. Um, Rebecca's brother was Laban. Um, and we pick up in uh, chapter 29 of Genesis. It says that Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Um, by the way, just, just right up front in the beginning, the definition in the translation of those names is Leah's name translates cow, C-O-W. Rachel's name translates um, uh, virtuous and pure like a ewe lamb, all right? So that's what we're starting out with. I'll let you leave, leave it up to you to figure it out. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I will work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed only like a few days to him because of his love for her. And then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is complete. I want to make love to her. And Laban brought together all the people of the place, gave a great feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. What they did, the tradition was, is that, you know, you'd party, you'd feast for a long period of time. And then they had kind of like the honeymoon tent set up. And all the lights were out, and the bride would go in, and the groom would stay out with the friends, and they would drink some more and make merry, and then, you know, all of his friends would just, like, throw him into the tent. And, and no candles, no lights, no electricity, and, you know, um, it says, and so Laban brought them together, all the people, gave a great feast, but when evening came, he took his daughter Leah instead of Rachel, brought her to Jacob, 
And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah, his daughter, as an attendant. And when morning came, aha, uh-huh, when morning came, there was Leah. And so Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? And you have deceived me. And remember, you know, remember that that's what uh, Jacob's name meant, was deceiver, that he, you know, deceived his father into giving him the blessing. He put on the sheepskin and, you know, uh, pretended that he was uh, Esau because Esau, the blessing was supposed to go to the firstborn. Although God had said earlier, you know, before the children were either even born, that uh, the uh, elder would serve the younger. And so uh, Jacob deceived his father, got the blessing, and then left town. Um, and now it's kind of like turnaround. This is what we call, the world would call karma. The Bible would say, what you reap, you sow. And Laban replied, it is not our custom here. That would have been nice to know up front seven years ago. Uh, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish the daughter's bridal week, and then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. And Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. And Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. Now, don't you think that she understood that? I mean, there's just like this controversy that's going on. There's tension already in the family because, you know, you know, Leah knows that Jacob has worked seven years for Rachel. And then, you know, how do you think that she's feeling? And how do you think that Rachel is feeling, you know, knowing that I can't usurp my father's authority. I've got to stand back and watch this whole thing unfold. And, you know, when it was her turn to go into the tent, Leah goes into the tent and you know, so already hearts are being broken, division is being is occurring, and it says that uh, Laban or that Jacob worked for Laban another seven years. And when the Lord saw, now this is where this story gets interesting. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, remember we talked about the greatest, you know, three greatest needs of being loved and forgiven and being accepted. And when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved. He enabled her to conceive. But Rachel, the one that Jacob really loved, remained childless. And Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Reuben, which translates, see, a son. And, um, you know, this is pretty, uh, it's notable that, you know, that we recognize this because normally in in this patriarchal society where, where the father has to say so of everything, the father was, he was so not interested in Leah that he didn't even care about naming the son. It was just like, you know, just like it's in your court. You take care of it. And so she gives him the name of Reuben, which means, see, I've had a son, uh, hoping that that would please uh, Jacob and that Jacob would begin to show affection toward her and love her and, you know, show care for her, but it didn't. And uh, she says, uh, she named him Reuben. He said, she, it says, the scripture says, because the Lord has seen my misery, surely my husband will love me now. And she conceived again and gave birth to another son because she says, the Lord heard that I'm not loved. And he gave me this one too, and she named him Simeon. And this means his word, or his name translates hearing. Um, and this is kind of interesting, too, because, you know, we, uh, as I said earlier, that, you know, that Jacob had gone up into Ur of the Chaldees and to this land of Iraq and where the culture was very pagan. Uh, but we're starting to see here a change in the wives of Jacob. And Leah is, you know, starting to realize that, you know, the, the pagan gods that they serve, the idols that they serve are not really gods at all, and that you know, that there is a one true God. There is a God of creation, a God of the universe. And she is recognizing that God, that God has been hearing, she's been crying out to the one true God. And she says, and she names her second son Simeon, 
and Simeon means that, uh, that God is hearing or, or, or hearing. And, uh, and so, and then again, we read in verse 34 uh, that she conceived a third time and gave birth to a son. And she says, now at last, my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. But it didn't happen. And, and I'm, I'm going to just tell you that, you know, that many times that we think, I believe is, even as Christians, sometimes we get this false sense that, you know, that we have to do something that impresses God. If I could, you know, if I go to church more, God will love me more. If I read my Bible, God will love me more. If I, you know, give 20% instead of 10% God, on my tithing, God will love me more. And we're constantly trying to work our way, just like Leah is doing here. She is so desperately, and you can see the, you know, just in, in the story here, you can see the storyline here. She's so desperate to, to have the love and the affection and the attention of Jacob, her husband, who could really care less about her. And she knows it. And she's doing everything that she knows how to do to get him to love her, and it's not working. And then she has... Uh, Again, uh, the, the, uh, she has a, a, another son, Levi, uh, thinking this will be the one that, and Levi means to join together, to come together. And she thinks that in her mind that, that, that God will finally just join the family. Remember, Rachel has no children at all, and the only children that Jacob have are all from Leah. And uh, she has these you know, four boys in a row and thinking that this is really going to bring the family together, but it's still, it's still not working, it's still not happening. And it's kind of interesting, in, in, right in, uh, in uh, Jacob's mind, you know, all of his attention and all of his love is devoted to, to Rachel, and, and Leah's trying desperately so hard to, you know, to please him, and having children and having these sons. And it's kind of like that scripture that says that, that you know, Man's ways are not God's ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are, are God's ways higher than our ways. But God had a plan. Even though Jacob thought he had a plan, God had a plan. And he starts building the 12 tribes of Israel. And these, these first four, you know, sons that are born are, you know, the patriarchs of, of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so she conceives again and... Uh, you know, has Levi, and it says, this time I will praise the Lord, believing that God is going to join the Lord, or join the family together. And when Rachel saw that she wasn't having any children for Jacob, she became jealous. And again, you can see this tension in the family. Two tents, there's really two tents here. You know, he has a tent for Leah, a tent for Rachel, and Rachel is now the one that's loved, She's one that's receiving all of the love, but she's in, she's in misery. I mean, she's absolutely miserable because in that day, in that culture, if you didn't have children, it was a shame to you. And, you know, people would begin to think that there's something that's going on in your life that maybe God has stopped or blocked your womb because God is not pleased with you. And so she's having this own struggle, you know, herself. When she saw that she wasn't having any children for Jacob, she became jealous and envious of her sister, and she pleaded with Jacob, give me children or I will die. I love this, that, that passage of scripture right there because you can, you can hear the burden of her heart. And I think that, you know, when I read this passage of scripture, that if the church would have the same, the same passion right here about lost souls and the world, this world would be a different place to live in. If we had the same passion, give me children, give me children, Lord, give me souls, help me to win souls, or I'm going to die. It's just, you know, it's killing me to see the lost souls out there that are not coming to salvation. Lord, give them, and the word even tells us, ask the Lord, ask for this inheritance, ask for this inheritance for the, for the, for the world. So I want to talk about, let's break this down and kind of look at it from their perspective and how it relates to us as well. 
number one, our, our number one greatest need is to be loved. And it says, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. And Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, named him Reuben, for she said, the Lord has seen my misery, and surely my husband will love me now. And she feels that she has to earn Jacob's love, and she has this, what's called, anyone ever heard this term, the disease to please? Anybody ever heard that term? It's like you're constantly working. You're trying, you're trying to work and prove and, and trying to please people. And, and you'll just wear yourself out if you continue to do that. And while Jacob may not have loved her, God saw her misery and God saw her condition. And God, you know, poured out. He showered his love upon her. In Job chapter 34, uh, verse 19 and it talks about how God loves us. And maybe you're feeling, you know, maybe you're, you identify one or, with one or two of these women this morning. You know, I don't care whether you're a man or a woman, you know, of, of that, you know, do I, am I really being loved by God? Does God really love me? You know, or do I have to please him? Do I have to do something to, to earn more love from God? You know, or maybe you're feeling like, Rachel, yes, you know, God, you do love me, but I'm not being blessed. I don't have the blessing. I know you love me, but you say you love me, but I'm not seeing the blessing or the favor of God. But the Bible says in Job chapter 34, verse 19, he doesn't care how great a person may be, and he pays no attention to the rich. He pays no more attention to the rich than he does the poor. He made them all. And what that's saying is that God loves us all the same. Whether you're rich or you're poor, where you're famous or not famous, where you're you know, making millions or you're, you know, on, you know, getting food stamps makes no difference. The Bible says that God looks at us and he loves every one of us the same. Uh, and you did nothing. There's nothing you did to even earn God's love. Just think about it. There's nothing that you did to earn God's love. Uh, the Bible says that, that God loved us, and I'll read the scripture again in just a moment, but I want you to hear it right now, that while we were sinners, while you were a sinner, God showed and displayed his love to you by sending his son Jesus to die for your sins. There was absolutely nothing you did, nothing that we did to earn God's love or make God's, God love us. The second thing that we see is that desire to be accepted. And uh, again, reading the scripture, that same passage we read, 33, verses 33 and 34, she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I'm not loved, that he gave me this one too. And so she named him Simeon. And again, she conceived, and she gave birth to a son, and she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. And this desire to be accepted, to be to to be uh uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? To be uh, that that seal of approval that that you know you just want to be acknowledged. It's like you know uh, you know most of us spend our life trying to please people and trying to earn acceptance. We want to you know we want to earn acceptance from our you know starts out when you're a child. You know I mean if you're you know you're a kid and you're on the baseball team, you might have grown up in a home where you know uh, you, you're playing baseball and you hit. You know, you got on first base or second base, but your father wanted you to get on third or hit a home run. Or if you were making A's and B's, you know, that wasn't good enough for your parents. They wanted you to make, you know, uh, you know A's. And if you're making, you know, just a few A's and, 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 you know, more B's, they wanted you to make straight A's. And, you know, it's just like that constant drive, you know, that you're pushing and pressure that we put on on people, or someone dares you. How many people have ever taken a dare here in this room? You know, just, you know, just, I dare you to do something. And, I mean, just crazy stuff. And, and how many of you did it? You did the dare. You, you accepted the dare. All right, all right. I'm not going to ask you what it was, but... Uh, <laughs> but I remember, uh, you know, when I was a kid, growing up in high school, there was a place called Churchill Bridge. And it was, uh, I can't remember how high it was. It was, it was like six or seven stories. And the deal was, you know, it was kind of like the right of manhood. Once you jumped off a Churchill Bridge, you were in. It was like you were accepted. 
And I'm standing there looking, and the boats that are going underneath the bridge, and I'm thinking, if I jump, I could land right in the middle of one of these boats. But they looked like they were about that small, you know, from the height that I was standing. And uh, I'm standing there, and I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. And, you know, the other guys are just like egging you on. Come on, do it. Jump, jump, jump. And I'm thinking, why in the world would I even think about doing this? And, you know, sure enough, the peer pressure convinced me to jump, and I did, and survived, and it was like, I was like so scared, you know, I was like scared to death that, you know, but, you know, it was like, hey, you know, and then everybody's saying, you know, Ron jumped off of Churchill Bridge, you know, it's like, yeah, big deal, I, I got to put that in my resume, you know, <laughs> but, you know, you, we, we so desperately want to be accepted by people that, you know, we do, we do things. And we do crazy things. And we do sinful things because we want to be accepted. And, you know, we want to be perceived as being that person of importance and recognized as someone as of, as of importance. We're like the young guy that, you know, that climbed the corporate ladder. And, you know, he, you know, he just he excelled and excelled and excelled and did so well. And finally, his boss came in one day and said, look, you know, we are... You know, we're so proud of you. We're moving you to a new location. You're going to be the, the president in this new location. And, uh, you, know, you know, we send you with our blessings and go do a great job. So he walks into the new office, a huge building, beautiful building, goes up to the president's office and, you know, he walks in. I mean, it's just like everything he dreamed of, everything that he wanted, you know, beautiful desk, lot, you know, great views. Uh, you know, and he sits in, you know, sits down behind the desk and kind of gets the feel of the big chair. And, and uh, the secretary comes in and, and says, There's a, you have a client here. Somebody wants to see you. And uh, he thought, oh, my gosh, you know, I gotta, you know I've got to do something that, you know, kind of like, you know, seems important. So he picks up the telephone really quick and pretends he's having a conversation. And he's talking about, you know, how much money they made on this deal, how much money they made on that deal. And they're moving to a new location all the time while the guy's standing in front of the, the chair, and he's like, you know, in front of his desk and making him wait a little longer, a little longer, and he keeps, you know, like pumping himself up, making himself look good, and finally he says, you know, I've got to go, I've got a client here, I'll talk to you later. Hangs up the phone and looks up to the man, he says, uh, sir, can I help you? And he said, yeah, I'm from the phone company, I'm here to hook up your telephone. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, it's like the, you know, the Bible tells us that our sin will eventually find us out. And, you know, no matter how many times that we try to pump ourselves up and make ourselves look good, you know, it always seems like the rug is constantly jerked out from under us. In Psalm, Psalm chapter 27, it says, and, you know, and I just want you to understand this, because this battle that's going on between Rachel and Leah you know, of who's going to be accepted, who's going to be, be loved. And, you know, you may be in a situation, you may be even in a marriage like that right now. You know, you don't feel like your husband loves you or your wife loves you. You know, you're just together, uh, you know, just trying to make it work, trying to make it happen. Um, and, and you're constantly, you're working, and you're working yourself into a frenzy trying to make, someone love you, but I want to tell you what the Word of God says about how God feels about you. He says in Psalm 27, though my mother and my father forsake me, the Lord will receive me, the Lord will love me, the Lord will accept me, and the Lord will forgive you. So, you know, we live in a world where you know, there's probably 7 billion people in the world. You're not going to be able to please everybody. You're not going to, you know, not everyone's going to accept you. You might as well just kind of kind of get that down right now. You're not going to make everybody happy. But the most important person that you can make happy is the Lord. And he loves you. And he's concerned about you and he cares about you. And just like Leah, when he saw that she was being neglected, he will turn his eyes and his favor and his attention towards you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 15, verse 7, it says, Therefore, accept each other in the same way that Christ accepted you. He did this to bring glory to God. And the final point that I want to make out of this passage is to be forgiven. 
I think that all of us have a need to be loved, we have a, a need to be accepted, and we have this, this just inward desire, this longing to be forgiven. It says that when Rachel saw that she wasn't having any children from Jacob, she became je jealous of her sister, and she pleaded with Jacob, give me children or I'll die. She looked out every day. She saw these children playing, you know, out in front of the tents, having a great time, and she would walk back to her tent alone and, you know, with a broken heart, no children, no children. It's interesting when we think about forgiveness and being forgiven. Jesus, this is the first thing that, first uh, statement that Jesus made from the cross. There were two others, both criminals were led out to be executed with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right hand and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. It's from Luke chapter 23. Now, we wait about 50 days after Jesus is crucified. And Peter, the Holy Spirit has fallen. And uh, Peter's giving this, this speech. And he says that let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you have crucified. Remember, he's talking to thousands of people. He says, let everyone in Jerusalem or in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. And Peter's words pierced their hearts. So they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They've got this thing. They've got this condemnation that's going on inside them. They've got this guilt. You know, that unforgiveness carries uh, two ugly little twins with it, and it's called guilt and shame. And that's exactly what they're exper experiencing. You know, guilt is what I've done to you to make you feel bad, and shame is what you've done to me that makes me feel bad. I'm ashamed because of what, you know, I've allowed someone to do, or I'm guilty because of, of something that I've done to you. But they're experiencing, this group of men and women on this particular day are experiencing, uh, you know, this, this need for forgiveness. They've killed the Messiah, and they, they, they had this desire uh, to be cleansed of both of guilt and shame. And it says, and Peter's words pierced their hearts and said to him, said to uh, him and to the other apostles, well, they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said, Each one of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Now remember that was the first word that Jesus said from the cross was, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Fifty days later, they're overwhelmed by guilt and shame and this need to be forgiven for what they've done. And Peter says, Repent, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Be baptized uh, for the forgiveness. They needed forgiveness. It's the greatest thing that they needed at that moment was to be forgiven. David totally understood the need to be forgiven. Listen to what he says from Psalm 51. This is after he's had the affair with Bathsheba. He's had her husband killed, and he's lied to you know the nation of Israel to military leaders, and he says, O loving and kind God, have mercy, have pity upon me, and take away the awful stain of my transgression or my sin. Remember, we were talking about, you know, the two ugly twins that come with, with, uh, with our sin and our need for forgiveness. He says, wash me and cleanse me from this guilt. That's one of them. Let me be pure again. I admit my shame. Okay, he's talking about his sin, and with his sin came guilt and shame. It haunts me day and night. It is against you and you alone that I have sinned and did this terrible thing. You saw it all. That's in Psalm 51, verses 1 through 4. And then he goes on to say, in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and fill me with clean thoughts and a right desire. Don't toss me aside. 
or banish me from, or forever from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey. And then I will teach your ways to other sinners and they, guilty like me, will repent and return to you. Don't send it to me to death, O oh my God. You alone can rescue me and then I will sing your songs of forgiveness. I will sing about your forgiveness. Lord, if you just cleanse me. And see, we have a tendency to kind of carry this around. And then we see how God goes back. We go back to Genesis and how God now has turned his attention. Leah has had her children. And he's looking at Rachel's broken heart. And it says God took note of Rachel he paid attention to her and enabled her to become pregnant. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And then she said, God has taken away my shame. God has taken away my shame. And she named him Joseph. Now, it's kind of interesting, if you'll recall, that she said earlier, God, give me children or else I'll die. And it was in that statement and in that very act, that she did die. Uh, she had one child named Joseph, and she had a second child named Benjamin, and she died in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin. I want to just conclude this uh, message this morning with, uh, I believe out of these three topics that we've talked about this morning, of love and acceptance and forgiveness, that uh, I want to just focus a little more on forgiveness this morning because we have a tendency to do three things with our sin. And instead of coming to God and asking for forgiveness, we think that we can deal with it ourselves. The first thing that we try to do with, with our sin is that we try to bury it. We try to bury our sins. We minimize it. We rationalize it. Or we compromise it. You know, we minimize it, saying it's not that bad, or we rationalize it, and then we compromise it. It's like everybody's doing it. Everybody else is doing it. Why shouldn't I? But David said, when I refuse, and when you refuse, I will say the same thing to you. And I, I just want to just say that, you know, as a pastor, I, I have the opportunity to talk to people, and it was just recently that I was able to speak to a, a man that came in, and... Uh, this, this man was so broken and so, uh, it's been a long time since I've seen someone spiritually in this shape that just could hardly get words out of his mouth. And uh, he had committed a grave, grave sin. And he was embarrassed, and he was ashamed, and he was guilty, and his life was an absolute wreck. And, you know, it was just like, honestly, it, I mean, he, he could hardly talk. He couldn't talk. And, and it took maybe 10 minutes for him to finally get out what was going on in, inside. But he told me that he was at the point of this guilt and shame in his life that he actually thought, thought about taking his own life. That he felt like he wanted to take his own life because of the guilt and shame that he had. David says this, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. That's exactly what he was doing. He was groaning. He was just like, you know, just like, just this groaning kind of, noise that he was making and he couldn't even say the words day and night your hand of discipline was heavy upon me my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat and finally I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt I said to myself I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me and all my guilt is gone therefore let the godly Pray to you while there is still time that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. The second thing that we try to do when we don't confess our sins, 
we try to blame other people. It's, you know, someone else's fault that I sinned. And we see that from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. Not only did Adam try to blame Eve when God asked him what happened, you know, he not only blames Eve, he blames God too. He says, the woman, the woman that, you know, the woman, she made me eat it. The woman that you made, the woman that you made and gave to me, God, it's not only her fault, but it's your fault too. If you wouldn't have given me that woman, you and I would have a great relationship right now. So it's all your fault. But the Bible says that in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3, it says people ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then they're angry at God. And that's exactly what Adam was. Adam was upset with God because God had given him Eve, and Eve had you know, convinced him to eat of the fruit. The third things that we, that we do, not only do we, we blame others, not only do we try to bury our sin, but we try to beat ourselves up over our sin. I was listening to Rick Warren talk about this, you know, this last week. And I like what he said. He said that, you know, the problem with beating yourself up, you never know when you've had enough. You never know when to stop. And you keep beating yourself up and keep beating yourself up thinking that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help pay, I'm going to punish myself for my sin. But I want to tell you, it doesn't work that way. The only thing that really will work is we, we humble ourselves before the Lord and we come and just say, Lord, I blew it. I have blown it. You know, I, I've, I've just, I've made a big, big mess out of my life and I need you. And the Bible says again in Psalm 38, it says, my guilt, we're talking about those, you know, with when we don't confess our sins, when we don't seek for forgiveness, those two evil twins, guilt and shame, you know, come into our lives. And Dave is talking about guilt right now. Again, this is dealing with his situation with, uh, with Bathsheba. And, I, you know, this is why he is called a man after God's own heart. You know, there was a lot to Bathsheba. This was a, a two-party thing. You know, she was bathing naked uh, below the king's palace out on top of the roof. But never once did David point the finger and say, God, she, look, she was part of this. He never points the finger at her. He's like, against you and you alone, God, I have sinned. And he says, because of that, my guilt overwhelms me. It's a burden too heavy for me to bear. My wounds fester and stink because of my foolish sins. I am bent over, racked with pain. All day long, I am filled with grief. A raging fever burns within me. My health is broken. Because he's saying, because I wouldn't confess my sin. And I'm going to just tell you, if you try to hold it in, if you don't confess it and bring it before the Lord, you know, it'll do the same thing to you. It's destructive. And God's saying that, you know, that those that try to, in Proverbs 28, it says people who conceal or try to hide their sin will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from their sins, they will receive mercy. And that's what we all want. Nobody wants judgment. We all want mercy. We want God's mercy. And so the Bible tells us that if we say that we aren't sinful, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But God is faithful and reliable. If we confess our sins, he forgives them and cleanses us from everything we've done wrong. And that's what we all want. That's from 1 John uh, 1, verse 8 and 9. So I just want to ask you this morning, if you would, just if you would just close your eyes and bow your heads for just a moment. And I want you to think about this, this story that we read. The story of Jacob and his love for Rachel, his disdain for Leah, the brokenness of both of the women, the division in the home, in the family, the heartache in Leah's tent for not being loved or accepted, the heartache in Rachel's tent, not being able to please her husband. And if you can identify with either of those women this morning and you're struggling with 
the sense that maybe God doesn't love you because of something that you've done, that you've got guilt and you've got shame. You're trying hard to, harder and harder to please God, to, God, just please look at me, look at what I'm doing. I'm trying hard. I'm, I'm doing all of these things, God. I want to please you. And I want to just say to you that God loves you. He loves you where you are, whether you're deep in sin, whether you're deep stuck in the mire of sin this morning, or whether all of your sins have been forgiven and you're white as snow. That's what Isaiah says. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. How many of you are struggling with that this morning? Just raise your hand. You don't have to look around. Just raise your hand. If you're struggling with, with that, come on, raise, raise your hand. It's okay. All right. So I want to pray for you. I want to, I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to ask our prayer ministers, if you guys would just while, before we begin our corporate prayer, if our prayer ministers would go over against the wall, worship team, if you guys would come back. And I want to pray for those that are, those that raise your hand and are struggling with, God, do you really love me? Am I trying to please you? Am I accepted of you, Lord? Am I accepted by you? Lord, have you really forgiven me? All of these questions that you may have this morning, and I just want to pray that, Lord, that your word says that you can bring a peace that passes all understanding. Lord, that you are the Prince of Peace. Lord, you know the broken hearts, the heavy hearts. You know the striving that goes on in our lives where we try to please you. We try to be accepted by you, Lord God. We ignore your word that says you accept us just as we are. And you just tell us to come to you to repent of our sins and receive your son, Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then I'm going to just give you still with our heads uh, bowed and our eyes closed that today that you know, I on Friday did a funeral service and just, just please keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I just want you to listen to these words. I did a funeral service for a young lady who was just killed in a, in a brutal, brutal way. It was tragic, 30 years old. And uh, I asked this question. I said, with your eyes closed, one of these days, you are going to draw your last breath. Your heart is going to beat for the last time. When you open your eyes, you're going to be looking at the face of God. And God is either going to be your Savior or He's going to be your judge. And I asked the question, I said, how many of you know for sure that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life? And how many of you don't know that your lamb, name, name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but you want it to be? And there were between 20 and 25 people that raised their hand and said that they wanted to know for sure that their name was going to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life and that they wanted to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They weren't ashamed. They weren't ashamed. They wanted to have a clean slate. They wanted God to wipe the slate clean, forgive them of their sins. They wanted to know. And I'm going to ask you the same question. How many of you want your names to be written. You don't know for sure that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You don't know if you've really received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You don't know if you've been accepted in His, His sight. You're not sure, but you want to be sure this morning. I want you to raise your hand right now. Just raise your hand. You want to know for sure 
Okay, just hold it up, hold it up, please. I've seen one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay, you can put your hands down. I just want to pray with you. Just pray this simple prayer with me. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. But Jesus and the disciples went around and they said, repent. Repent of your lifestyle. That means just simply turn away from the lifestyle that you're living. When you turn away from something, you're turning towards something. If I ask you to turn away from the stage, you're turning, you're going to face either the back wall or the left wall or the right wall. You're going to turn away from something and towards something. And God's saying, I want you to turn away from the lifestyle that you're living right now and turn to me and let me help you live the kind of life that I want you to live, the kind of life that I created you to live. God's saying, just turn to me and I'll take charge of your life. That you've tried it your way, and some of you have tried it for 15, 20, 30, 40 years, and it's still not working out. And God's saying, turn to me, and I will lead you and guide you along the best pathway of life. And when you do that, when you accept Jesus Christ into your life, if you just simply just say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that you were crucified on Calvary's cross to pay the price for my sins. And I know that I'm a sinner, and I'm asking you to wash me in the Lamb's blood today. Lord, that you would write my name in the Lamb's book of life, that you would forgive me all of my sins, take charge of my life, and let me live a life that brings honor and glory to your name, Lord. I'm tired of living the same old life, doing the same old things, uh, can't break the same old habits that I've had year after year after year. I'm asking by the power of your Holy Spirit that you come into my life right now and break the power of sin and death in my life, Lord, and help me to live a life that brings honor and glory to your name. Uh, look at me. I'm going to tell you, that if you prayed that prayer, you're, you can just be assured of this one thing, that God heard your prayer, and he took heaven's pen, and he inscribed your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. There were nine people that raised their hand to receive Jesus this morning, and I want to give God praise for that. Why don't you just stand with me? We're going to close in a song. And for those of you that want, you want prayer for anything, anything that's going on in your life, our prayer ministers are all over the room, just against the wall. You know, you can just get out of your chair right now and go pray with them. Our worship team's going to lead us in a song, in a short song. And as soon as they're finished, you're dismissed, you're free to go. And I just say, God bless you. And you are, you know, this place is called the light. The Bible says that you are the light, that Jesus was the light. And as you go out these doors, be the light of the world. Shine on somebody. Lead them. Point them. Just point them and them in the direction. That's what John the Baptist did. He said, look, look, this is the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sins of the world. Follow him. And man, boom, John's disciples are like, okay, adios, John. Hello, Jesus.